Elephants everywhere. Elephants? Elephants on stage? Never. There's elephants in the garden. Cassie, I'm trying very hard <laughs> to, to tee you up for the secret garden. You are... Oh my god, now I get it. Okay, gee willikers, Ryan. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to By the Ghost Light. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And Cassie did not pick that oh, up at all. It was that great. was the most labored attempt at an episode introduction I have ever heard in my life. And this is number eight for us, I believe, at this point. So I think I'm batting a thousand here. Like, that's pretty good. I'm going to listen back to that one and be like, yeah, that was a good bit. Solid Elephants bit. Elephants in the garden. Elephants in the garden. Why are we talking about Secret Garden? We have to talk about Secret Garden. We're... Because luminaries of our field keep passing away. Yeah. It's very sad. It is and very sad. we lost sad. Lucy Simon. We did. We lost Lucy Simon, who is the, who is the composer of the Secret Garden musical, and not a lot else, unfortunately, because the Secret Garden score is stunning. It is beautiful. It is so well done. It is so well thought out. And it was one of the only things Lucy Simon composed for Broadway. She also composed Dr. Zhivago, the musical. And apparently she was working on a Little House on the Prairie musical at one point if that was only, abandoned. If only, please. I would love that. And she was working on another project before her, her cancer battle forced her to bow out, um, mm-hmm. called On Cedar Street. But this woman, if you're only going to compose one major musical in your lifetime, do it like she did. Because, again, The Secret Garden is one of my favorite musicals. I had the honor to direct it a few years ago um, Mm -hmm. with Black Swamp Players. And it was just an absolutely, absolutely wonderful experience. Um, This is the second time I've brought it up in the last four days Mm -hmm. because I also chatted about my production of Secret Garden on my fairy tale podcast. What's it called, Cassie? It's called Of Slippers and Spindles, and we just recorded our 100th episode. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So uh, we didn't ask me anything. And one of the questions was about our favorite musical. So I talked about Secret Garden and how um, probably the most famous person I know was someone I directed in that production of Secret Garden, Nathan Wright, who mm-hmm. is now oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he's got a couple of Broadway tours under his belt, which is pretty cool. Doing all right. Yeah. I'm in mourning for Lucy Simon. Uh, if you have never listened to the Secret Garden soundtrack, do yourself a favor. And go listen to it. It's absolutely incredible. The The Secret Garden musical uh, was Tony nominated and Lucy Simon was nominated for score. She did not win. I remember growing up with the Secret Garden book, like reading it. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandmother had, and I assume still has, like one of those beautifully illustrated copies, like, you know, that was real big and had photos and drawings and such throughout and it was just a gorgeous book um but i remember that story grabbing me early on and every film version of it just not being what i wanted it to be and then you listen to lucy simon's music um from a show that honestly i don't think a lot of people know exists which is sad which is sad it is such a well done show i'm looking up um what it lost to it won best book of a musical which Mm -hmm. 
I think is. I think so that would have been what, 1991? 1991. 92? So the 45th Tony Awards. Hold for Google. Hold the Will Google. Rogers Follies one for score. Okay, they, oh, no, that one for best. Eh. That one for best musical. Secret Garden one for best book of a musical, and best score. Oh, and Daisy Egan won for Mary Lennox, her portrayal of Mary Lennox. That's right. I think she's one of the youngest. I think so. Um, Tony winners, best original score. Will Rogers Follies again. Follies. Okay. I mean, Follies lost, is good. Lost to Will Rogers Follies. Good. It did pretty well. Secret Garden did pretty well for itself. If you ever have a chance to see it, you should look it up. It is it's one of my top five um, favorite musicals. You know what's about to be in your top five favorite musicals? Is it Newsies? No, we're gonna get to Newsies. Um, I forgot about this piece of news. <laughs> news. Uh, but where we're going, Cassie, we don't need roads. Oh. My gosh! Yeah, back to back the to the future. future is is smartly waiting until technically next Tony season to open, so mm-hmm. it's not opening yes. until summer, um, yes. which I think is good because the the Tony field is saturated. Yeah, right there's now. a lot. There's a ton. It's like we had COVID for two years, <laughs> and now we're just like getting back into it. Look at all this art. Yeah, it's going to move into the Winter Garden Theater on Broadway after Music Man is done. Mm-hmm. Which means Music Man has to end. Which It does. It has to close. And I've heard from people who have seen this in the UK who say it's some of the best technical work. Oh, it has to be. That they've ever seen on stage, which I fully believe. I'm pretty excited for this one. I'm pretty excited for it, too. It's such a cult classic that it feels like it could very easily be a cult classic of a musical as well. But I really hope it has wider success than that. But it'll also be interesting to see uh, its longevity past Broadway because it's going to be so hard to do at a community theater, but everybody's going to want to do it. Right. So jump ahead 10 years to some not great productions, I'm sure. I can't wait to see those cardboard DeLoreans. Oh, man. Oh, man. Also, I think it's important to highlight a musical that is moving to the West End in London. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, the Great British Bake Off musical. So I'm uh, the only person on the planet that doesn't, like, binge watch Great British Bake Off religiously. That's fair. And I was excited. Like, when I first saw this announcement cross my my awareness i was like absolutely not this is we've gone too far i thought it was april fool's day like i missed out i assumed it was a joke (laughs) i watched the trailer that they made for it Uh uh-huh and i was like no this looks like nothing but a good time from start to finish look if waitress can work right right so just please give me a cast recording that's all i want I'm sure we'll get a if it's going to the West End, we'll get a West End recording. I need a West End Especially with the popularity of this Mm -hmm. show, the name recognition. So many people jump right on it. Yeah. I was initially skeptical, but now I'm like, no, this seems like a good time. Fully on board. That'll be an interesting Broadway transfer if that ever happens. We'll see. (laughs) We will keep you posted. Uh, There's a whole bunch of shows that are getting announced right now. Um, We'll probably get into them next time because all the announcements are still coming and coming and coming. Yeah. Um, But uh, we do have to shout out uh, a Toledoan heading very close to Broadway. 
you might even say it's off Broadway, but it's the Roundabout Theater. So mm-hmm. that kind of feels like Broadway. It kind of feels like Broadway. Now, this is a really obscure Toledo actor. You probably haven't heard of her before. She's just yeah. kind of making a break onto the scene. Yeah, um, we're all rooting for her. Her name's Katie Holmes. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Katie Holmes is going to the Roundabout Theater. I really hope that that joke played. <laughs> Me too. It'll be great. Uh, Katie Holmes uh, is going to the Roundabout Theater. She's going to be in the New York premiere of The Wanderers uh, by Anna Ziegler. I know absolutely nothing about this. I just no. know she's doing it. Uh, previews start uh, in January and it opens in February. Um, so it's a play. It's a uh, 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 it is short. Uh, it is. Oh, here's a little synopsis. Orthodox Jews. Strong start. Esther and Shmuley are newly married and their future is written in the laws of the Torah. Secular Jew Abe is a famous novelist who believes he can write his own future until an unexpected email from a movie star. Julia Cheever, played by Holmes puts his marriage to the test and threatens to prove him wrong. So we'll see. It's at the roundabout, and the roundabout does good work. So we'll see. I think the most surprising part of this uh, bit of the announcement is that uh, I'm sure people didn't know that Katie Holmes was from Toledo. Katie Holmes is from Toledo. She's from Toledo. We claim her. Mm-hmm. And will for forever. Oh, yeah. So we have two topics to discuss for the rest of this episode. And both are important. One deals with uh, the casting process of a public school, junior musicals, um, advancing uh, art in schools and theater uh, in students, and all of those good, wonderful, awesome things. The other is the greatest Shakespearean adaption to ever be created. I don't know if I can officially agree with that statement, but it is definitely up there. I would have to watch it again to like fully back up that statement, but it yeah. might be that. So you want to talk about Newsies or you want to talk about Rosalind? Let's talk about Newsies first and when we'll wrap up with Rosalind. That sounds great because we're just going to go and go and go oh, yeah. with, for Rosalind. So Newsies. Newsies is great. It's a show. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's pretty cool. And you had auditions. I did. I had auditions. Uh, auditions and callbacks, and I put out the cast list last night, uh, right about midnight. I'm evil because I told all of the students that if it wasn't up by 11, it probably wasn't going up that night. So uh, they should just go to sleep, and they'd see it in the morning. And then I got <laughs> it done about midnight and posted it, and uh, it was pretty great. So this is where I really want to pick your brain because I think the way that we handle auditions is similar But Mm -hmm. I know that there are some important differences because you direct for a public school, whereas I direct for an independent theater company. Yes. I don't know. I guess what does what does your process look like? And then I'll talk about how similar it is to mine. Sure. Uh, So I think this is good, too, because we we got to hear you walk through Little Women Mm -hmm. over the last couple episodes. So uh, we'll walk through Newsies here as I do it. So I'm doing Newsies Junior for... Uh, one of the local middle schools, not like the 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 wealthiest, uh, fanciest middle school in the area, but it's 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 not poor by any means. We're not. It's not. It, it's a well-off school, so that we have some money. Um, and I've been there for ten years now. This is my tenth show with the school district, and 
Every year I've done a junior musical. I'm sure I'm not the person on the planet that has directed the most junior musicals, but I gotta imagine there's only so many people who have done this 10 times. I don't remember if we've talked about junior musicals on this show yet. I know that it's on our list of eventual topics to really dive Mm -hmm. into. Um, But if you're not familiar, a junior musical is a pared down version of a well-known show. Um, Mm -hmm. The official like Broadway junior name is through MTI Musical Theater International. Yeah. And uh, basically they take these well-known shows and they adapt them down so that they're more easily performed for middle school or by Mm -hmm. middle schoolers. And so they'll cut the show down to about an hour in length and they'll kind of simplify the music and they'll make, you know, various changes to some content so that it's, Mm -hmm. it's more appropriate for middle school. I have opinions on this practice, but we won't get into them today. I, I will say that I used to be like super, against anybody who would ever dare deign to do a junior show i no longer hold that opinion now that i've been working in the field and i understand like how expensive shows are right and like financially why doing junior shows is a more viable option for groups yeah um so i no longer like harshly judge anybody who does junior shows (laughs) just slightly just slightly i just slightly judge them i can hear it in your voice it's fine one of the other things you get with the junior show is you get all of the music canned uh, and it gets sent to you and you get a uh, rehearsal track with voices um, performed by uh, high schoolers usually. So they sound like kids, so that's easier for the students to access. Uh, And then there's a performance track. So they literally get to rehearse with the music they'll perform to, you know, during auditions if you want to, which is amazing it's so good for their confidence and it makes teaching the music easier and it means you don't have to find a pit and you don't have to do a sits mm-hmm. probe and you don't have to figure out transition music and then you don't have to pay the you know the three adults to come play with 12 students and like you don't have to do any of these things which is amazing the junior musical is a whole thing and we'll dive more into it later but some context i think is good for this so i'm doing newsies junior i held auditions uh monday and tuesday and then callbacks on wednesday uh cast the show wednesday night and the way i run auditions here uh for these musicals i do vocal and cold reads during auditions and then callbacks is uh, dance call and more cold reads as needed, which I think is fairly standard for musicals. Yeah, I tend to do vocals and monologues. So I, I give the kids monologue options. And sure. so they'll come in and sing for me, do a monologue, and then do dance call at the initial audition. Mm-hmm. And then at callbacks, I will do cold reads. I'll do cold reads at initial auditions if I have time. Sure. But frequently I don't. And then cold reads and and chemistry reading are how I use callbacks generally. So I think this might be one of the differences too. So because I'm in a public school and all of these kids know each other. So I get sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, All of them know each other within their own grade. But it's also very very obvious which kids are the choir kids and the music kids and I usually get a lot of them so -hmm. that means that for these musicals especially because I have the music that they're going to perform to so early 
I can really emphasize the vocals. People can people talk about like the wall of sound, right? Yeah. Like it's just going to sound so good that whatever else happens, it it only has to support the singing of it all. And I certainly lean into that for something like this. My stage is only so big, so my choreography can only ever get so fancy. And at the end of the day, if you've got 11-year-olds trying to do fancy choreography, you know, it's not like I've got a bunch of high schoolers and then a handful of middle schoolers or younger kids or the ages are spread about. It's everybody's 11 to 13. And we're dealing with all ranges of puberty and voice cracking and all of it. It's it's yeah. just a, it's a blast. So for a music audition, it would be traditional for you to have a pianist there and anyone auditioning would bring in the song they're singing, they would bring in the music, they hand it to the accompanist, and then they would play, uh, and the auditioner sings whatever they've prepared, and that's the vocal audition. And that's more or less it. Yes. I decided a long time ago that I didn't want to go through all of that trouble at a middle school because it was going to be a pain year in Mm -hmm. and year out. So I make the kids get up and sing a cappella. Okay. So they have to show up and they have to have whatever song prepared that they want. I don't care if it's from the show, not from the show, pop song. They could sing happy birthday. I don't care. Sing something. And then I send them up on stage one by one and they have to sing like a verse and a chorus. They can have the words in front of them. Um, A couple of times they try to like sneak an earbud in so they have something to listen to. Uh, that's a no. You can't do that. Nice try. But I get a whole different range of songs. Uh, it's just delightful. This this year, I had a couple people sing from the show. I had a couple people sing from other shows. So I had a, uh, I think I had two people sing from Annie for whatever reason, and then one girl sang from uh, Beauty and the Beast, and then another girl sang something from Descendants. Uh, I got uh, I got one girl singing Numb Little Bug from TikTok. Uh, so that was great. And somebody else sang The World's Smallest Violin, the TikTok song that speeds up and speeds up and speeds up. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. But it gives me a really good insight into the kids as as people, what they picked, how they did it. Yeah. I get I can judge their stage fright real quick, but I also get a really good sense of what their rhythm is. And if they can hold a tune on their own, because if they can hold a tune on their own and they can keep beat, I can work with that. And I have so much turnover in this. Like I never get to keep a student beyond three years. Right. And even then I'm going to get new seventh graders and new eighth graders every year. So I have so much turnover year to year. I have no idea where anybody's voice is at. I didn't think this was going to work necessarily. It's kind of what I did the first year as a way to be like, I don't know, let's find out. But then I liked it. And then it also, um, you know, gave the kids, you know, something something to be proud of to do because it's terrifying. Yes. Like going up on stage in front of all your peers and singing by yourself completely is terrifying. So I get to have them lean into like hey you did this really brave cool thing it's all downhill from here (laughs) i think with your age group that's going to work really well like that these are middle schoolers a lot of them may be trying this for the first time and this is a way to kind of take some pressure off i think Mm -hmm. as weird as that sounds because like there's a whole process when you're giving sheet music to an accompanist who you've never sang oh for sure it's a whole like it's a whole thing and 
we we don't require that with ours, um, but we provide the pianist and we tell them, like, you can bring in a karaoke track to sing to or you can mm-hmm. bring in sheet music. Um, but that's largely because, you know, we go up through high school and part of our mission is to help prepare kids for what auditioning in, like, a wider sphere is going to look like. Sure. And so, like, teaching them, like, this is how you would come into an audition room and give your music to the pianist Mm -hmm. and and all that kind of stuff. And so I think the way that you're handling it makes a lot of sense for where you're you're working and Mm -hmm. the population that you're pulling from. We've got a good reputation for doing shows that are are good and the kids have fun um, and then... They go to the high school, and every year I have kids at the high school come back and see the show, or they'll show up to a rehearsal or two. Um, but they talk about how um, going through an audition process like that at a younger age just gave them so much confidence. Like, I did that. I had to get up and sing that in front of all my friends, and then I got in the show, and then I did it again the next year. I can do anything. You can only instill so many things into middle schoolers, right? Like most of them, I have to teach them what stage right and stage left is. Like I have to teach them how to read a script. I have to teach them what cheating out is. You know, I have to teach them how to do, you know, two or three part harmony or what any of these terms mean. So much of it is teaching that I just hope that they maintain the basics and that it's, they get good bases to move forward to whatever other art they're going to do but if as people i can instill in them the yes you can do this do the big hard scary thing it's going to be worth it you know then that that's part of it yeah i think we've touched on before the idea of in educational theater the process is almost more important than the product mm-hmm and it certainly feels that way at a middle school. Yeah, for this uh, this 100th episode of questions that I just recorded, um, one of the questions somebody asked me was, what advice do you have for someone who wants to work with kids in theater? And I talked a lot about like patience and flexibility and redefining what success means with each new project mm-hmm. because it's always going to change based on who you have. And the circumstances that you're performing under and the experience level and and all that kind of stuff. And so every project is going to have a different definition of what it means to be successful. Yeah, I had to come to terms with that, you know, 10 years ago, the first show I did there. um, We did Guys and Dolls. And uh, great show. I love that show so much. We're going to talk about it forever. But in doing that, like, I had to learn real quick. Like, I had a kid audition who was perfect to play Nathan Detroit. And then I had another kid who was, I was like, "Ah, okay, you're going to have to play Sky and it'll be okay. Uh, But we'll figure it out. And I was really excited because we could, you know, we can make these choices and we do all of these things. And, you know, it worked visually and all of these things. And I was getting very director, artistic, high vision about it. We got a week into rehearsal and I went, oh, no, I literally have to swap these two simply because of the range of the junior version, the way it's written. Uh, 
Sky doesn't sing as much as I thought he did, and the parts that I thought he had, oh, no, I have to, okay. So I literally, like, swapped roles with these two kids a week into rehearsals because we had to or we wouldn't have a show. So now mm-hmm. I'm at the point with these shows, I'm like, did the kids, did they have a good time? Did they make friends? Did they learn? Did I teach well? Do they want to keep doing this? But also, you know, do they appreciate the art? Do they have a, a good basis to move forward? Can they go see shows in a different light now? And as far as the product goes, uh, the best compliment I can get is, I can't believe these are middle schoolers. That's the comp. That's what I want to hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if it's if people walk Absolutely. out of it and go, wow, that was better than a lot of the high school shows I've seen or something like that. I'm like, great. We've done our job. And then some people and then some people say, like, I can't believe you got the kids to all dance the same thing. I'm like, oh, OK, well, hold on. <laughs> I didn't realize the bar was that low. But here we are. So because you are doing this for a public school. Mm hmm. Um, do you have to cast everybody who auditions? Are there those kind of stipulations in your program? Uh, no. So I am encouraged to include as many as I can. Okay. Um, however, participation in it is looked more at – can't talk. Participation is looked at more closely with like how they run sports. Like you have to try out. You have to get on the team – you know, you have to be dedicated to it. You can be removed from the team, right, for bad behavior or missing practices or whatever. If you don't show up to practice, you can't play the game. That is the mindset that they had over there Okay. Uh, when I started. And uh, I've been able to tweak it a little bit as I've gone, but it's been kind of nice, too, because there's some years when I get, like, 25 students to audition. I'm like, okay, I need everybody. But then there's other years where I'm like, I have 50 students. I don't even think I can fit them all on the stage at one time. Right, yeah. Because it's it's an older stage. Like, it's the high school from the 1920s. Like, it's an old auditorium. There's a, a literal bomb shelter, a fallout shelter underneath. Like, it's old. Yeah, because when I um, I stage managed for Otsiko High School more than a decade ago now, mm-hmm. and um, at that time the director of the program and the director of the musical would literally cast everybody who auditioned. Mm -hmm. Like if you showed up to auditions, you were in the show and we did hairspray with a cast of 82 kids. I think that's crazy. That's so many. And it's too many. (laughs) It's too many. It was nuts. Cause trying to stage manage that and trying to manage all those kids backstage. Like it was absolutely nuts. That's that's chaos. Like I get ticket sales and I get, it's a it's a fine line because you don't want to deny students, especially in a public school, the ability to do art. But it's not a class. It's an extracurricular, which you're not guaranteed. I mean, that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. And I try my best to involve as many as I can. Pretty much all of our technical positions get run by middle schoolers, which is Excellent. insane. Like, I have a, a lightboard op, a soundboard op, a... Uh, and then another student running the um, the music because they have to play pause. So it's like 45 very, very, very specific, important sound cues, right, that they can't screw up. Mm-hmm. And we, by the time show comes, you know, I'm not I'm not even calling the show at that point. The kids are telling each other when it is and they're handling it on their own. 
Um, I'll probably, like, I still have a parent uh, or a former parent at this point. He keeps coming back. He's great uh, to kind of supervise, uh, especially the sound elements of it. But we get to f- the first show, and he is largely hands-off unless there's a problem. Um, same thing backstage, same thing with costumes. We'll have a parent or, a parent or two back there kind of uh, wrangling and organizing. But by the time we get to that point, the students are doing 90 95% of the work. Which, you know, if I can if I can have a student do a job, then the, let's have a student do a job. One hundred percent, yeah. So, how uh, many people did you cast in Newsies? I cast thirty. Okay. So, and that was not everyone who auditioned. I feel pretty good about thirty. I could have gone a little higher, but there's usually a pretty natural cutoff of okay the. These kids that auditioned really could be a problem or really didn't want to be here or only here because so-and-so was there, um, which you get a lot in a public school. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the kids who showed up because the other kids showed up. Yes. Because you're just auditioning in the auditorium after school and everybody was kind of there. So it's a little different. And then we usually have one or two kids have to drop after the cast list comes out. So... Um, moving roles around will be interesting if I need to, but um, Newsies is great because every single character has a name. Yeah, and that's that's huge for a middle school because it's it's not like so many other shows are. Hey, these ten people have a name. These ten people have like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Baker number three or, you know. Uh, woman with chicken or whatever, right? And then you get 15 people that just say, yeah, I was Legally Blonde Ensemble. Right. Right. It's all still good and needed, but Newsies, every single kid that got cast gets to play at least one named character, which is, uh, I love it. That is really exciting. Um, I'm not looking forward to putting the program together for my summer show. Oh my gosh, no, that's so much. It's called Explosion, and there's literally over a hundred named characters. Jeez. You better get some good program sponsors. That's a lot of paper. I know, I know. (laughs) That'll be good. So So on the one hand, I was like, yeah, and then then I'm like, maybe I just have my three named narrators and everybody else is just listed as ensemble. There you go. Because everybody except the three narrators is going to be playing at least three different characters. That sounds like a nightmare. The spreadsheets you'll need to figure oh, that out. Ryan. You already have them? They're already made. Good. Good job. This show so auditions in April. Good job. And my, my actor cast list spreadsheet is already made. Good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Good. Great job. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Newsies as you go into this process. Right. It'll be great. It'll be great. I'm very excited. The only other thing I want to add is that I got some pushback earlier on in my tenure here. (laughs) Tenure. That's a good word. About uh, cross-gendered casting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I got some pushback. And nothing really ever came of it too much. But I, I tried to at least have the leads not be because we were going to get some nasty emails from this conservative school district. Right. Uh, um, which is, it's a public school, so these are the things yeah. we deal with. Yeah. But in the last 
handful of years, probably three or four years, not only have um, I seen more students and really being able to see the shift to a wider range of pronouns in a middle school yeah, um, and a lot more students exploring there and trying to figure that stuff out at a younger age because when I started this was not ha- 10 years ago this was not a thing no not in a middle not school. in middle school Mm-mm. no now it is it is absolutely and that's phenomenal so it has let me kind of have a little more freedom in casting uh so like our Jack is played by a boy a male uh and our Catherine is female crutchy Davy and Les are all going to be played by females. And then most of the newsies um, are actually divided up, and it's specified now in the junior version whether it's a male newsie or a female newsie. Um, and I pretty much just that said, screw it, they're all being played by females. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of get to let them pick for themselves how masculine or how femme they want yeah, to present absolutely on stage which is cool but also at the end of the day like they're all wearing like ratty button-ups and newsy hats like there's only so much that can happen here right, so right so it'll be good yeah it'll be good and we perform in early february so i get an extra couple weeks but then we have to deal with thanksgiving and christmas mm-hmm. but that is a conversation for a different episode because cassie yeah Cassie, you watched Rosalind. I did. I did watch Rosalind. Rosalind. I spent like a solid week because I watched Rosalind like the day it came out. And then I had to spend like a week going, Cassie, have you watched it? Cassie, have you watched it? Cassie, have you watched it? So Cassie, you watched it. I did watch it. And and the reason it took so long is because um, with my fairy tale podcast, we are dependent on my, my co-host's chemo schedule. He can't record the weeks that he has chemo. And so the weeks he doesn't have chemo, we have to record like four episodes. Sure. And so every night where I could have watched it, I was having to record an episode with him. And so finally, last night, I was able to watch. This movie is phenomenal. It is so good, Ryan. It is so good. Did Chase watch with you? I just need to know. He did not. Okay, we'll make him watch it But we will make him watch it. So, okay. Oh, God, this movie is so good. Should we throw? Okay. I, I feel like if we're going to get into any nitty-gritty details, we have to give kind of a spoiler warning. Okay, let's just say this. Okay, so Rosalind is rated PG-13. It's on Hulu. It's about, it's like an hour and a half, maybe. Uh, it is the story of Romeo's ex, Rosalind. She is named once in Romeo and Juliet, and we know who she is exclusively as Romeo's ex and then is never brought up again. This film explores the world's greatest love story from the world's loneliest ex. Yeah. And, oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. So if you want to watch this movie free from spoilers, then... Pause now. Pause now. Pause now. Go watch it and then come back. Because I don't want to hold back as we chat it's about so good. this. It's, it's so good. We're, we are serious. Pause the podcast. Go watch a movie. Pause it. Go watch it. It's 90 minutes. Just go watch it. And then come back. And we're saying, yes, this this is something we can talk about on a theater podcast because it's based on a play. It's based on the play. It's based on the play, Romeo and Juliet. So- the love story. Okay. All right. All right. You're all back now. It was a great film. 
didn't did we told you it was so good, right? Yeah. It was so good. Okay. Spoilers abound. Cassie, Spoilers abound. go. So I directed Romeo and Juliet. I have as well. Four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And my approach to this show, because my approach to the show has always been that Romeo and Juliet is not the greatest love story ever told. Um, that's not how it was meant to be interpreted and viewed when it was written. It's mm-hmm. just a flawed interpretation that is pervasive among our society. But the emphasis was never supposed to be on the love story, which is fleeting and ridiculous. The emphasis is supposed to be on the fight between the families. And sure. case in point, when we first meet Romeo, he is moaning and moping about this girl, Rosalind, who he loves, who doesn't love him back. Yep. And then he goes to a party and he sees Juliet and he's like, Rosalind, who? It's great. And now he's in love with this new girl. And my favorite thing about this movie is that this is how you do a period piece with a modern twist. Yes. Yes. Because this is a thing that people are trying to do right now and a lot of them are doing it badly. Yes. Jane Austen. I haven't watched Netflix's Persuasion and I don't intend to. Amazon did this with their Cinderella. Yes. Didn't work. Recently. And it's like they so they set it in this like fantasy whatever and they tried to make it modern by throwing all these like slang phrases in. That immediately dates your show. Yeah. And Rosalind didn't try to do this. The juxtaposition was just here's a period drama. They're in period costumes. But they're talking to each other like actual normal people today would talk to each other. And they really set that up in the beginning. Except for the times when they didn't talk normal. And Romeo got poetic. And Romeo got poetic. Oh. So that's how that's how this opens is you have Romeo climbing Rosalind's balcony and he's giving this poetry that I think is mostly straight out of It's straight R&J. out of it. It's straight out of it. And then like Rosalind's first line, I think, is why are you talking like that? And then two and then like thirty seconds later she goes, Oh shit. It's great. Yes, it's so good. It's so it's so but good. This is, this is how you do it. Don't try to load it up with slang. Like No. Just just let the fact that they're having conversations that like you and I would have. Yeah. Be enough. It's so good cuz it's so good cuz you expect the the poetry and the language and the pentameter and all of this stuff. And there's moments where they lean into it a little bit, but then they call themselves out. It feels like it felt a little bit like um when in a musical somebody actually starts singing and then they get called out for, hey, why are you singing? Mm-hmm, it kind mm-hmm. of felt like that. Same vibe. Yes. This is so good. This should not work. This film should not work. And it does. And it makes me so happy. So Rosalind is played brilliantly, brilliantly by Caitlin Dever. She is so so good in this role. She's also uh, currently playing uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts' kid. Yeah, in Ticket to in Ticket to Paradise, which I also want to see. Yeah, but, but then she was also in Dope Sick. Um, I think she won an award for it. She was also in Dear Evan Hansen. She was also in Dear Evan Hansen, which I was um, doing my best to not talk about, <laughs> but she was good in it. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, but I hear she was one of the standouts. Yeah. Um, for me, the actor I was most excited about in this project was Bradley Whitford, mm-hmm. who I love. He's one of my favorite, favorite actors. Um, and he plays Rosalind's father and starts out being 
kind of awful. And by the end of the movie, he's phenomenal. He's He's like my favorite character by the end of it. He's so good. Right? There's a brief moment where the world thinks Rosalind killed Juliet and there's been enough tension between her and her father that like she gets, you know, thrown into a room to stay there so they can figure things out. And he comes to her uh, and she's like, Dad, you have to believe me, yada, 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 yada. And he has this moment of... Oh, I don't. I can't remember the line off the top of my head. It's she, so good. She says, "I know I'm not the daughter you want me to be, but you have to know I would never hurt Juliet." And his response is, "I don't know what to think." And then immediately he says, "And you have always been the daughter I wanted you to be." And he delivers it so well, so well. He delivers it beautifully, and then he leaves the door cracked, and he goes and distracts the guards so that she can get out and go help. Yes. Um. So, yeah, so no, it's great. So, like, you have the whole romance with her and with Romeo, and her nurse is played by Minnie Driver, and who is also phenomenal. And, you know, he at one point says, I love you, and she doesn't say it back. It's so funny. And that, of course, knowing the context Mm -hmm. is why he would then go, you know, mope and moan about, oh, she doesn't love me. Because she didn't say it. She's supp- they're supposed to meet each other finally in public at the mass ball at the Capulet's house, which um, Rosalind is a Capulet. They they make that choice, um, and That's it, and it works technically from the text. It yeah, technically because she gets called cousin, I think at one point. Yeah, but it, it's it's kind of the lead that lead yeah. is buried. Yeah, <laughs> just just a bit buried. Um, it's only in some folios. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but. Uh, she, they're supposed to meet, and she is actually uh, – her dad is setting her up on all these blind dates because they're trying to do an arranged marriage. And she actually, like, ends up on a boat in the middle of nowhere in a rainstorm while she's supposed to be meeting Romeo at the ball. So because that doesn't happen, he meets Juliet, who is her cousin, and it's just it's just a beautiful mess all the way around. She sees him sneaking into Juliet's balcony, and then she realizes that it's her cousin, and so then she's trying to sabotage – them by being like oh romeo yeah he makes that speech to every girl and and it's almost working and paris is her gay best friend which is like what a one choice of my favorite. like so good i can never unsee that i can never unsee it either because the whole reason in this movie that he proposes marriage to juliet is to help Rosalind. Yeah. She's like, go propose because that'll get her away from Romeo and they're not going to make you marry her for like two or three years. Yeah, you can figure stuff out by then. You'll you'll have a you plan. You can figure it out by then. <laughs> yeah, you'll have a plan. It'll be fine. Oh, it's so good. They pull out all their swords at the beginning. They're in the marketplace and it's romantic. <laughs> and then um, the Capulets and the Montagues pull swords on each other and they have very bad sword fights and she says, boys, 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 please put your swords back in your pants. Yeah. It's so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. And my all absolute favorite moment of this entire movie is when she has now gotten over her hurt feelings about Romeo and she's going to she's determined to help her cousin and Romeo. Yep. Romeo mm-hmm. has killed Tybalt. She gets to Juliet's and she's like, "Okay, I have a plan." She's gone to this this guy who went on the boat with her in the middle of nowhere who's of course her actual love interest and she's convinced him to help. Yeah, cuz this is a romantic comedy. Like It's a romantic comedy. It's great. Um, but she goes to Juliet and she goes, "Okay, I, Dario's going to help you. We have this plan. We're going to put you in the ship. We're going to go find Romeo, pick him up from the chapel, put him in the ship, and we're going to send you off to Venice." 
and we're going to get you out of here. And Juliet's like, no, I don't need your help. I already have a plan. And she outlines the plan from the show. Yeah. And uh, we can say one F-bomb on here, right? And still keep our family-friendly rating. I think so. Well, we've warned, okay. them. We've warned them now. We've warned you it's coming because <laughs> Juliet outlines this whole plan. And there's a beat. And Rosalind goes, that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. And and fifty seven thousand Shakespearean scholars stood up and cheered. I was one of them. It was so good, so good. Um, they do that often though, where it's very yes, it's very tongue in cheek. When it's like we, mm-hmm. they're like we know that you know what this is and what's supposed to happen and what will happen, but we're gonna commentate on it often so at the end of it they actually get Romeo and Juliet out like they fake their death they don't actually die and that happens like three times because it's Shakespeare um, and then they finally get him on the boat and they send him away there's a post credit scene that is Romeo and Juliet together on the boat trying to get to know each other and realizing that they have screwed this up so badly and that they're both teenagers and it is so good. They did not have to include that. It is purely tongue in cheek. It's so it's, so good. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And just the whole scene in the crypt with Juliet laid out, and she runs in, and you see Romeo slumped over her body. Mm-hmm. And Rosalind's like, "Oh my god, I'm too late. I'm too late." And she runs in. She's like, "Romeo, no, no, I can't believe that you did this." And he pops his head up. He's like, "Hey, chill." <laughs> Because, of course, like, Dario right. got to him in time and warned him. And then, like, the Montagues and the Capulets are running in. And she's like, pretend to be dead. Pretend to be dead. It's so good. And then and then she gets to monologue. And then they do, okay, they do not monologue for the entire movie. And then Rosalind gets to monologue at the end. And they shoot it differently. They yes. shoot it, like, face-on Shakespearean monologue. And I was, oh, it's just these little touches throughout. Like, theater people made this movie, like, through and yes. through. It's so, so wonderful. Oh, but go we, watch this movie. It, it's go so good. It. Okay. It's so good. We haven't even talked about the best character yet. Steve the Courier. Steve the Steve Courier. Steve the Courier. I, I keep saying this is, like, my favorite thing, but, like, I love him I love the whole, like, instead of, you know, Brother John or whatever getting waylaid by plague so the message never gets to Romeo. Right. Juliet's like, no, I sent the message with Steve the Courier. And Rosalind's like, Steve the Courier's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's high all the time. He doesn't know where he's going. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. It's so good. Every comedic choice that they made was positively spot on. If for some reason you've gotten to this point in the episode and you didn't stop and watch the movie, go watch the movie. Great movie. Go watch it. If you did watch it, go watch it again. Yeah, I'm going to. Seriously. It's so good. This is the (laughs) best version of Romeo and Juliet. Yes, I agree with that. And I'm still pretty proud of my Playground Shakespeare version of Romeo and Juliet. But this one takes the cake. This is, yeah, this is my new favorite. Like, I think this one may be neck and neck with... With uh, 10 Things I Hate About You for my favorite like, oh, adaptation of a Shakespeare. Hey, put Shakespeare adaptations on the list of things we should talk about. We're crossing into Shakespeare territory there. That's okay. We do it different. But we do. But I will. I will include it. 
we could talk about Romeo and Juliet for a long time, and maybe we will have a different episode where we will, but that's also some Shakespeare territory. When I directed it, I, I tried to set it in uh, New York and do some gangs in New York stuff, and we did the Irish mob and the Italian mob, and it was a whole thing. And if you've never heard an Irishman do but soft what light through yonder window breaks, it's just delightful. Uh, it was our good friend, uh, George Bronano. And he was delightful in that role. It was amazing. The whole thing was great. But I agree with you on most of what you said about Romeo and Juliet. The thing that I would twist, it's not the world's greatest love story. Yes, it's all overblown. Yes, it's about the families. Yes, 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 yes. All of these things are true, except for Romeo and Juliet. For those two characters, for those two actors. Oh, no, actors, for those two, it's right? absolutely It absolutely real. is every, it absolutely is the world's greatest love story ever told. And it has to be. And that makes for some interesting rehearsals because then they have to, like, defend it and understand it and fully lean into it. And then you've got, you know, uh, we had the same group of friends, right? We got Joel Mm -hmm. and we got M and we got Kevin all over here just laughing it up and having a great time with the large amount of dick jokes in this show. Yes. And then I'm like, no, Josh, no, Abby. You have to take this seriously. It's great. Good show. Good film. Oh, uh, go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch you, it. Go watch it. You think the we next time we watch it, um, do you think we could get the Ghostlight Ghost to watch it with us? I think the Ghostlight Ghost should definitely watch this movie with us and Absolutely. chime in. Do you think the Ghostlight Ghost came from a crypt? Maybe the Ghostlight Ghost is the ghost of Paris. So that would make the Ghostlight Ghost Paris? Yeah. Paris the ghost-like ghost? Paris the ghost-like ghost? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of dead people in Romeo and Juliet to choose from. There are quite a few. Paris the ghost-like ghost. You know what? You know what? That is actually the right amount of of, of niche reference mm-hmm. for this show and this network. I agree. I can get behind this and we'll make everyone else get behind it. Absolutely, because we're gonna make we're gonna make the ghost like ghost a thing. Absolutely, absolutely. We just gotta get everybody to lean into it. It'll be great. Uh, Thanks so much for coming along with us on this weird journey that is uh, by the ghost light. you can find us on Twitter at By the Ghost Light, and our network is at ghostlightmedia.net. Uh, all the other fine shows there. Uh, but we can also, again, shout out 100 episodes for Cassie's other show of Slippers and Spindles, which you should really be listening to, and I should really be listening to more. Thank you so much for supporting both our podcast and Ghostlight Media, our podcast network. Until next time, friends, I'm Cassie. And I'm Ryan. Join us next time by the ghost light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.